All right, well, good morning, everybody. Most of you did, but it was at least part of the week anyway. It was a good time. Uh, we met some good missionaries, the Ongs on their way to their field, and uh, and then Brian Brian Barry uh, was on the way to Ireland, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, he just fit in, didn't he? Just the way he you know, led singing, or didn't lead it, but he was part of the praise of the last night and different things, so it was really good of him. Um, okay, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, next weekend, so not to, uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, the 17th. Uh, so uh, I think everybody knows we will have an Easter Sunday sun, a sunrise service. It starts at 6:30. I don't think sunrise is until like 6:40. Actually, actual on the clock 6:40 in the morning. But sunrise service will start at 6:30 to be outdoors here. So just pray for dry weather and, and maybe a little bit warmer. Um, it'd be nice, but uh, you're going to do all the chairs. Anybody want to help Jamie set up chairs first thing in the morning? We're going to try to get there about 5 and start setting chairs So up. 150 <laughs> chairs need to be set up. We're renting the chairs. They're not coming out. They're not like these chairs. So um, uh, so he's going to pick them up, load them up in his trailer, bring them here, and set them up you know, back the trailer into the armory until... Till in the morning, Sunday morning. So if you can help him, if you want to help. If you can't help, that's okay. You well, want to help? No. <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the spot there. Myself. Sorry about that. Last year it was it was Lance and Jamie and Wendy did it all. Yeah. Lance said there was a possibility of doing it Saturday night that Brian was considering that. Well, the only thing the only thing that I was concerned about was all the dew settling. Yeah, you have to wipe them have to come back and yeah. yeah, that would not be a great thing. That's exactly my, my first thought was was dew on the on there because yeah. it will be wet in the morning. You know how it is. Just tell everybody bring their own towel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll go well, I'm sure. Especially if our guests don't know about it and you know um, well everybody could just stand I guess. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so if you can help Jamie, I know Jamie would appreciate it. Um, and uh, I, I think Sunday morning is probably the better 
I don't know. You guys work it out. I'm not. I'm not in charge of that. So. I'm, when I talked to Lance last, that's what I was planning on doing, just because of the dew. Yeah. That's why I was wanting to keep it in the armory and then bring them out so they're dry. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I, Bob knows, and I think we'll be able to make room for you. So. Um, and then on Saturday, the day before Easter, is is uh, a what Brian is calling an all hands work day. I mean. All hands, that means everybody. If, well, I know not everybody will show up, of course, but people have other scheduled things already. But if you can come help to uh, work around the church, there's there's everything from cutting down a few trees that Steve has marked that are dead trees that need to be taken out to uh, spreading mulch in the flower beds to uh, cleaning the carpet with the carpet cleaning machine, which is really easy. Fun thing. Would you say it's easy? Well, she's run it, so she knows. It's not hard. When it works. Clean the carpets, you know, different things. I don't know what the whole list of, of all the things are, but I do know that those are those are some key things. So if you can be here, uh, I didn't get a time. Do you have a time? Do you know what the time is supposed to start? No, I don't think he said specifically. I would think probably like if you're here at eight o'clock, you'll either be before them or after them. So. Um, I think I think that'll be good. So uh, so that's going on this coming weekend. Eight thirty to three. Eight thirty to three. Thank you. We clean the church today. Clean. Yeah. This, that, yeah. This weekend is our church cleaning day. That's right. That's the next thing on the list. Is the twenty? No, the twenty second. That's Wait a minute. I, I, I typed in the wrong date, I think. I think it's 4 2. No, no. I hope so. That would be awesome. Was it really 4 2? I missed it. I think so. Oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Oh, my word. I mean, that's, this is the official chart from. I was crumbs in here last night. So, 4 2. April 2. April 2. That was last weekend. Yep. Five fourteen is the next time. Five fourteen. When is when are we supposed to do it? Last weekend. That, okay, come here. You tell me what this date says. If I'm wrong, if I'm reading it wrong, no, okay, I'll, I'll take the hit. <laughs> I'm in trouble. She said both my names. <laughs> I probably had a typo on there where it says 422 on, on the handout. I probably hit two twice weeks ago. What's that? Our plan to get fired is working. <laughs> and I'm working at it. I think it's twice we've missed, isn't it? It is. We're one for three this year. Three strikes and you're out. You don't have to clean anymore. <laughs> See if Steve will fly with that. Oh All right. Well, I apologize. May May make a note. May 14th. That's the next time we officially on the calendar clean. That's why I have started carrying this chart. So, 514. Julie, you want to check that and make sure it's 514? Oh, yeah. She got it in her nose. Julie. Julie. 
Verify that the next one is 514. We don't have a fake list. Yeah. Right. That's the twenty two sixty two thousand twenty two. She's making sure it's the right year. Five fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know, but I, you, could it have been updated since then? Well, that's what I was wondering. Uh, is Steve the one that gives this out? I got that from Luke a couple months ago. Uh, okay. Let me confirm with Luke. Just make sure. Because I, I had it on my phone before 22. That's because that's what I told everybody. Oh. oh. <laughs> zeroing in on the source of the It's my fault that we messed up. So. There's so many things going on on 4-2 that uh, nobody even realized that the church didn't get clean. <laughs> okay. Um, so next week, uh, tomorrow, uh, Jeremy, you want to talk about taking it to the streets? Yeah, today. Yes, yeah, yeah, today. Sorry, I said tomorrow, but today. Yeah. Uh, today is taking it to the streets. So um, they need a head count because they're going to provide lunch. So and they're doing class by class. So it'll be who's representing the real life class going out today to hand out invitations. And so is anyone? We're going to do it like we did with Vision Conference. Anybody interested? Come forward now. <laughs> Uh, they'll provide lunch for you. I could text uh, Pat Lee if anybody's going uh, with me. I'm going, but any of us going. But anybody wants to um, to go, there'll be lunch right after uh, church, just for those who are going out. So any takers? Okay, two of you. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. So I'll text um, Wendy too, right? No. Okay. And then, you got uh, in without me seeing you. Huh? I didn't see you sitting over there. How's, how's Judy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sitting here. No. Uh, she's not doing better. You know, like I said, I left this morning. She's doing a breathing treatment. And, uh, you know, uh, I figure, just like the doctor told her what she doesn't want to do, in two more weeks, if she's not any better, she's going to have to go to a respiratory therapist to see if they can treat her in some She's been on another round of antibiotics. And, uh, That's a bad deal. And it's, it's bronchitis. Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah, well, I keep saying, no. It's got to be all, something. It, it, it has, they say it's the lingering effects of the COVID. And I'm thinking, you know, we, we all had COVID. It wasn't nothing. But yet, this cough and this constant respiratory thing, it just keeps, you know, she'll have a good day. The next day, she's like sitting on the couch, can't do a squat. Hmm. So. All right, well, we'll keep her in our prayers. Sure. Um, okay, the last thing I just want to mention is, uh, and I think it's okay to put this on here because I think it was publicly announced, but uh, Jamie and uh, Wanda's wedding is Wendy. the twin. Wendy. <laughs> Wendy, sorry. Oh, <laughs> Wendy, did you know about Wanda? Is this a surprise to you? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> That's my fault. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, their wedding, Jamie and Wendy's wedding, 22nd. Yes. And what time is the wedding? 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Okay, so let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4.
We'll read that passage and we'll pray and we'll get started. Verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears are such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter on their side of, of their oppressors. There, were, there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he that both yea, better is he than both they which have not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that has done under the sun. Again I considered all the travail and every right work that, that for this is for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end at all, no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, from For whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Hard passage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. We praise you for the opportunity to be here today. And Lord, uh, as we uh, wrap up the vision conference and all the little details here and there about that, we just thank you for it. We look forward to next uh, next week, Lord, for the, uh, the sunrise service and the impact that it may have uh, in our community. I do pray, Father, that you would bring um, people uh, as guests, uh, family member guests, uh, just people that are looking for a, a place to go to church on Sunday because that's what they do. They just go to church on Easter Sunday. So I pray that you would bring them here so that their lives would be impacted and changed. Pray, Father, that um, those who are um, suffering, Lord, in this passage that says that they have no comforter. Twice it says that, that they have no comforter. I pray, Father, that you would help us, use us to accomplish uh, introducing them to a comforter, the Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray you praise you for that, and we pray for the people that are going out to take them to the streets to invite uh, uh, to Sunday service, Lord, and ask you to use them in a mighty way. We just praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, holy is your name. We praise you for the fact that you are good and even though uh, so many cannot see it they they think of the wretchedness of sin and what's happening in the world is because of you and it's, it's because of sin and uh, help us to be a, a light and a witness to show forth your your grace your goodness your love uh, by opening up your word and speaking your word that that people would would know of your great love I pray, Father, that you would um, 
just strengthen us, use us. God, use the message um, today um, that, that Randy would speak to uh, strengthen and enlarge our hearts for you, as well as uh, the messages that are going on around the church. Father, we conclude in prayer. We're thankful again for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that um, uh, that we can uh, read through your scripture and find places that, Lord, that remind us of things that we should pray for. We do pray especially for Judy Steele, Lord, as she's dealing with uh, what should not be a difficult thing, but it is for, for her. Her body, Lord, needs to be healed. We pray, Lord, that you would give her exactly what she needs in both uh, treatments and, and medical care. I pray, Father, for her spirit would be rejoicing even now, Lord, that she uh, knows that Christ is in her and that, uh, Lord, that she can, she can still um, rest in, in the fact that, she, that, uh, that that's a true statement. We pray for her. We pray, Father, for Bob Klein as he prepares for his surgery this, this coming week, Lord, to ask that you are, um, you would, um, next week, that, uh, Lord, that you would... Uh, prepare all the details for that that you would accomplish um, in him uh, through the doctors, Lord, the healing of his body. We pray for uh, the, the, the Balkans. We pray for um, the, the Bickett's family, Lord. And just ask, Lord, and I know that there's other names just even in our own class, Lord, that we don't have on this list right now, but I pray, Father, that you would manifest yourself in a mighty way and you would reveal yourself to every person to show yourself to be mighty in God and holy and righteous. And we just ask for your, your guidance, direction, and help, Lord, as we understand through this study in the book of Colossians, the knowledge of your Son, Christ. And we just ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, turn over to the book of Colossians, uh, where we're going to be over the next few weeks. I don't know how long it will take us to get through. But what I wanted to do is, uh, this is something that, I, this is one of the books that Paul wrote that I hadn't, I don't really spend a lot of time in, you know, because you go through it so fast in reading, because it's only four chapters, I don't know how many words it is, but it's not that big of a book, it's a fairly small letter. Uh, so we're going to start the study of this letter. Uh, it's, it's, it, this letter, is way of introduction, this letter is, is one, one of the letters that are, that are referred to as a prison epistle. Uh, it was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. Uh, if you recall, uh, in the book of Acts, after, after Paul had been... He'd done, he did three mission trips, right? He went out and he, he, three times he, he left his home church in Antioch and he went out and he, and he laid down the, the framework for churches. He wrote letters. He, he traveled all over the place. He, he did many things. Uh, but in Acts chapter 25, he had been arrested uh, back in Jerusalem, he went to Jerusalem. He got arrested. Uh, they they basically accused him of of uh, bringing a, a Gentile into the temple, into the temple where they were un, they were not allowed to be at. And he's like, no, I didn't do that. But you know, so they arrested him. In Acts chapter twenty five, verse eleven, he's speaking now to Festus, one of the, the 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 king, uh, the Roman king, Festus. Uh, and he says in verse 25, chapter 25, verse 11, Paul says, If I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. That means I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm worthy of death if I have done something wrong. And he goes on and he says, But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, 
No man may deliver me unto unto them. No man, you can't kill me if if these if these accusations are false. And then he says, "I appeal unto Caesar." And so his his next journey was was uh, a band of Roman soldiers escorting Paul to the to the city of Rome to meet with Caesar, the emperor of Rome. Uh, Paul had the ability to make this this uh, request because Paul was a Roman citizen. He uh, he he had been born in in uh, uh, Tarsus, um, and uh, which is a Roman Empire. But he was born. He he was not a slave. He wasn't. He was he was not a Gentile. He was a Jew, uh, but he was also a Roman citizen, and so he had the right to petition. This is like going to the Supreme Court. Uh, this is this this that kind of thing. He says, "I appeal to Caesar." So while he was in, while he once he made it to Rome, uh, they they put him in house arrest. They had an ankle bear, you know, ankle bracelet on him. So they could track him wherever he went. You know, not really. The technology wasn't there yet, but they did they did keep him in a house. But he had he had uh, the opportunity to have a lot of people come visit him. He was free basically to do. He had like under house arrest. He could do whatever he wanted, talk to whoever he wanted. He just couldn't leave. Uh, and so people would come to him all the time. And there's a guy, I'll talk to him about him in, in a little bit, named Epaphras, uh, that came to Paul and told Paul about this church at Colossians. But anyway, Paul wrote this letter, uh, several letters actually while he was in prison this, at this time. He wrote, he wrote the little letter uh, uh, to, to Philemon about Onesimus, uh, the guy that he led the Lord while he was in prison. Uh, and there's a connection with that to this church, to this this letter of Colossians as well. I'll talk about it shortly. Uh, he also wrote a letter uh, to to the church at uh, Ephesus. To that the church at Ephesians, the Ephesian church is a church uh, prison epistle as well. And then to the Philippians, uh, he wrote all of those letters while he was in prison. I don't actually know the time frame that he was in prison. Uh, I don't know how long it takes to write a letter by hand with, you know, ink and quill, <laughs> you know, but uh, he wrote this letter and it was sent. And so he also wrote letters to counsel and guide people, uh, like I said, to Philemon, addressing uh, f- fellowship and, and, doc- and partnership. These other letters he was writing focused mostly on discipleship, training, and um, uh, doctrine. And uh, so this letter, the Church of Colossae, uh, uh, it's a different little letter because until the need to write this letter, this is one of the churches that Paul had never been to. He didn't even know this church existed until he was in prison and he found out about this church. It's an amazing thing uh, that he did that. So when you think about Paul's trips, for example, all the, all the travels that he made, the three times he was on his mission trip, Paul passed very closely to the, to the church of Colossia, but he didn't go to Colossia. He actually... He went to Ephesus. He planted the church in Ephesus, which is about 100 miles from the city of Colossians. So it's not too far. I mean, we don't think 100 miles is anything, but, you know, how he routed his time, I don't know. But he didn't stop in Colossia and visit with them. So he wrote this letter simply to encourage the believers who may or may not have even known who Paul was. And that's an amazing thing as well. I mean, we, you know, you and I as Christians, Paul, Paul is a very predominant figure, I mean, not, not as predominant as Christ, of course, but the Apostle Paul is a predominant figure in the New Testament in, the, in our study of the Bible and guidance and direction for how to, be a, how to be a church, how to be a Christian, and so on. But can you imagine this church, the Church of Colossae, I mean, I don't know for sure, but, but 
uh, I, I wouldn't say it as a fact, but I would, I would hazard that it is probably true, that uh, they did not know who Paul was, and they get this letter from this guy named Paul. And uh, he, he writes some pretty cool stuff to them. And so it has an impact, not only in the church at Colossia, but it has an impact in your life as well. It impacts every Christian because of what he wrote. So he wrote this letter to encourage the believers, who, as I said, who may or may not know who he was, but he wanted, Paul wanted to give them a word of encouragement to stay strong in the faith. And it made me think as I was typing this up in my notes this week and thinking about the missions conference and all the things that we did and all the things that were done during the conference and the contacts that we made and the contacts we already have and so on and so forth. And it kind of made me wonder, what would, it, what would a letter from you look like to, a, to another, to a missionary as a word of encouragement? What would you say? And have you ever thought about writing a missionary and saying, I mean, you know, we, we, we send a note, and, hey, I'm praying for you on Facebook, you know, or whatever. And that's all fine and good, and we should do that. But what about, like, Paul, Paul's in jail, and he met this guy named Epaphras, who was from Colossia, and I'll link all this up in here later on. Um, but he was from Colossia, and he said, Paul, there's a church that you need to know about. It's an incredible church. And Paul said, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to write them a letter and encourage them. And he wrote the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. That's, would we write a letter like that to another church? Say, I heard that, uh, you know, first Bible Baptist of whatever town over in, in uh, the East Coast or the West Coast or whatever. Hey, I know what's going on. I know what you're dealing with. Just be encouraged, brother, because you're, well, what I've heard is good things about you. Could we write a letter like that? That'd be an incredible thing for for us who are blessed and strengthened in the Word to write another church and say, "Be strengthened in the Word." Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Okay, let me give you the background of this book. Uh, its location: the town was in the area called Phrygia. Fig, uh, there were several churches that had been started and they were growing in Phrygia. Phrygia was the area that we now call. Asia Minor, uh, we also call it the, the, the country of Turkey. Uh, and what's neat about this area, there were actually three cities that were located in, the, in a valley called the Lysus Valley that had formed an important trade route between the east and the west. These three cities were Colossia, and you probably haven't heard of Heriopolis, Heropolis, and then the third city, which you probably have heard of, Laodicea. So Laodicea is very close to Colossia. And where do we know Laodicea from? Revelation. Revelation, right. It's the, the, the seventh church that Jesus Christ wrote um, and lambasted them for their lack of, of uh, faithfulness. So that's that church. Okay, so we'll tie all this stuff together throughout our study as well. Okay, so at one time, Colossia had been a large a very popular city with a wealthy trade. They their their big deal on trading was a special kind of wool that they you know they especially grew special sheep that had the best wool you could buy, and uh, that and so they had a big economy going there for a long time, uh, but they ran into some problems uh, because by the time Paul wrote this wrote this letter to the church. It had become a small town in contrast to its neighbors. So they were in competition with Laodicea uh, because Laodicea is about rights of the people and you know that whole thing in there. We'll study that later on. Um, so in this church, this church was really considered a young church. Now, 
you know, I still think about HPF as being a young church, 20 years old, still a young church. You know, there's, there's, you know, we still have a lot of growing to do and we still have a lot of opportunity to serve. But, so I would call us a young church. So maybe Colossians 20 years old, as I'm thinking about time frame, probably 15 at the, or at the, at the longest, it's probably a 15 year old church. But they faced doctrinal and pr- practical problems on their um, on their own um, because there were you know when there's a, a young church who who's just trying to get their feet on the ground uh, there's always false teachers that prey on them in the young churches we talked about that a lot uh, in, in the study of Second Corinthians we talked about churches coming or people coming in to try to uh, destroy the church and so um, this church faced heretical pressures from such teaching as human philosophy calls for works as well as traditions of men and anything opposing Christ. If you turn, just flip over to chapter 2, verse 8, and look at what Paul has to say there. He says, and you, you're familiar with this verse. I know because we, it's been used a lot. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So Paul is saying, don't let those people come in and destroy your work. You're doing great right now. But there's, there's people that are going to try to come in and attack you. We will break that down when we get into chapter 2 later on. So like I said earlier, this, this letter is linked to other letters as well. Not to Philemon, uh, the letter from Paul to Philemon to receive, again, his runaway slave Onesimus. You probably remember that story. Onesimus was the slave that had ran away. He, he was in prison with Paul. Paul said, you need to get saved. You need to go home and, and turn yourself in. And so then he wrote a letter to Philemon. Hey, this guy's going to turn himself in. Treat him nice. He's a, he's a brother now. And, uh, and so uh, the church at Laodicea, as we already dis- uh, identified, is the seventh church spoken of in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. It's interesting. It's also the church at Laodicea is actually mentioned four times in this letter to the Colossians. The, the name for, so we're not going to break down all the verses, but in chapter two, verse one, we see that we see Laodicea listed there. Chapter uh, four, verse thirteen, we see Laodicea, Laodicea listed there. In chapter four, verse thirteen, I'm sorry, thirteen, fifteen, and sixteen. It's just uh, it's in the last chapter several times. Uh, so. Paul, when he, when he decided he needed to write this letter, he had a strong desire for all the churches and needed to address them both regarding his concerns. So Paul already knew what could happen to a church. He understood that a church could be hurt by false teachers, by people who wanted to come in expounding on philosophies and traditions of men and all that stuff. And, and uh, so we had, he's, he's warning them, but he says, you have the ability to protect yourself from them. But he wanted to warn them as well. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So we have that verse right there which clearly indicates that Paul has never been to Colossia. He's never met these, these Colossian believers. It would be like Paul writing a letter to Heartland. He'd never been to Heartland, but he wrote a letter. And he encouraged them. And you... You know, Pastor Brian read the letter uh, from the pulpit. The whole church was encouraged and strengthened by, oh, you know, they, they realized who Paul is, and Paul identifies himself in the first chapter. And so that's a cool thing for this to happen to this little church. But Paul had a strong desire uh, 
to to address some needs and his concerns. Now we'll look at all of, all, all this conflict when we get into chapter two, because that's where he, he digs into it real deep. But he encouraged the church to share or exchange letters, even though we have no indication that Paul wrote the church of Laodicea. But uh, I don't have a, the chapter four, verse sixteen. Flip over there for real quick. Paul says to the church as he's wrapping up his letter. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So basically, it's like, now I don't know where the letter from Laodicea ever shows up, or I mean, it's not in the Bible. This is the only indication that Laodicea ever got a letter from anybody other than Jesus Christ in Revelation. But Paul is saying, hey, take you read their letter, and let them read your letter, and you know, exchange understanding of that. Now, I don't know if they did. We don't have any idea if they did or not, but that's a, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, so the name the name of this region and area is uh, Prigia. Is also um, I just want to point out that it's found four times in Scripture in relation to Paul as he was traveling. So he's, he's around the area, but he's not in the area. In Acts chapter 2, verse 10, I do want you to look at that real quick. Acts chapter 2, verse 10. As you know, I think everybody's pretty familiar with what goes on in Acts chapter 2. Uh, when the, um, uh, Peter gets up and preaches, and uh, they're preaching in, in another tongue. Uh, actually, this is the language of the people that are, that are there. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, this is kind of listing, um, well, start going all the way back to verse 8. It says, now we hear every man in our own tongue, which wherein we were born. So it's, it's not a, it's not a angelic language that nobody understands. It's a language that everybody that's from that area understood. And he lists them all down. In verse 9, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the dwellers of the Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. And then in verse 10, he actually says, Prigia. In Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and the strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, and so on. And he lists them all down. So the point is this. There was somebody. How did this church get here? Paul didn't preach it. Or Paul didn't plant it. Somebody was listening to Peter. And that guy, or that guy, or those people, I don't know how many there were there, but that was one of the languages that was being preached. And those men, those people, they went back to the land of uh, the area of Phrygia after... Acts chapter 2, and they started telling all their friends and family, and they started a church. They just came together, had Bible study, and set meeting, and started doing things that maybe somehow they found out about how to do a baptism. Maybe they found out how to do a Lord's Supper. And so they did things. I don't know. But, but what we do know is that, that, that Paul didn't plant his church, but we have evidence probably that this is, was started by just, a, just a, a, a person that believed, that heard the message of, of Christ, believe, and then he went back and tell his family. And that's a great thing to do. We talked about that before, about just we should be able to go back and tell our families different things of the truth of the Word of God. And so anyway, I lost my place, here we go. Uh, not only in Acts 2, but Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, when Paul Paul's second journey was being hindered by the Holy Ghost to turn them towards Macedonia, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. 
Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, and then they, then they went on down, and basically they got, turned, they got turned by the leading of the Holy Spirit to go to Macedonia. So they didn't make it quite. Maybe if they hadn't gotten turned by the Holy Spirit, maybe they would have been in, in Colossia. I don't know. Uh, another place that we see it in is Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 23. We don't need to turn here to read that for the sake of time. The last time that it's mentioned, the, the, uh, the area of Phrygian, is actually in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 21. Timothy chapter 6, verse 21. It says, While some professing have erred... Is that right? I don't see it listed there. But... It's in the hmm? Oh, yeah, it's in the, uh, the, 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 the subtext after, after verse 21. It said, The first, meaning the first letter to Timothy was written from Laodicea, which is in the which is the chiefest city of Pergia, uh, Pasantania. So, um, so, the reason I bring that up is because it's, it's believed that Ty, uh, Timothy was from this area when Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter sixteen. That's where that's where he was at. So there's no mention of Colossia outside of the book of Colossians, though. Even though Laodicea is mentioned four times, Colossians is not mentioned anyplace else except the book of Colossians. But it is enough to make a Bible student wonder if there's no, if there's, if there is or is not really important lessons to draw out of this letter, and I think there is. So let me give you the theme where we're going with this study. Uh, go back to First, go back to Colossians, so you can see from the handout what, what in general, what my theme is going to be uh, for this letter. But uh, the key study for this. For us, the key verse for our study this for this passage, uh, or the theme of our study, since you have a blank there, is the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. It's really kind of an interesting thing when you once you start getting into this letter. This letter, as small as it is, and as such, um, oh, how would I say this? Uh, indiscriminate of this church. That's probably not the right word, but. This church didn't have a big, big part to play in Paul's ministry, in his missions, in his travels. But this letter has a lot to say about Christ, and that's how he was encouraging the church. He said, hey, you have a, you have a belief in Christ. Let me tell you some things about Christ. That's what this letter is about. So the key, the, the theme is the knowledge of Christ. The key verse is Colossians 1.18, which speaks of Christ. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know, you think about that verse right there. It doesn't say like it says. It doesn't sound like it says a lot. But you could camp out on that verse and spend a couple of weeks or three or four weeks doing a Bible study just on that verse. What it all means. Uh, the head of the body. Okay, that's a study. The beginning. The firstborn. That's a study. All things he might be. He might have the preeminence. That's a study. And you, know, you can talk about that kind of stuff for a long time. So this letter divides easily into two parts. But chapter 1 and 2 focusing primarily on, and you have a blank, the word doctrine. Chapters 1 and 2 focuses on doctrine. And the theme for the first half of the, of the study, chapters 1 and 2, is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. 
And that verse says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful unto every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the second part, chapters 3 and 4, focuses on practical application. That's your other blank, is practical application. And the theme verse of chapter chapters 3 and 4 is Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, which says, And have put on the new man. So this is a practical thing. You put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that has created him. It's an amazing thing. The word know, K-N-O-W, the word know and its variations um, form the intent of the letter. There's 11 verses that have some sort of the word know or knowledge or knowing or something like that. In this book, Paul is saying you can know some things. Let me tell you what you can know. That's basically the, the gist of this letter. So he writes this letter to a group of believers who he has never met and never held a Bible study in the city. Uh, not like he went to Athens. You know, when he went to Athens, he didn't start a church in Athens either. He got he basically said this church, this town is spiritually dead and decrepit, and so he left. But he didn't start a church. But he did preach. Paul's never been to Colossians, so he never preached there. He never had a Bible study there. But there are several topics that we're going to pass through where Paul addresses negative influences that young Christians need to be well aware of in order to defend against false teaching and erroneous doctrine. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you need to be able to deal with and address false doctrine, false teaching, and erroneous doctrine. Okay, so that's basically all of the, the, the for, formatter of the, of the study. Look, look at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 1 what I would just refer to as a salutation and greeting. So I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. Paul said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That's a powerful thing. To think. I mean, that's, that's a, he's like, I, I just got to write to you guys, and I'm praying for you that you would continue to grow. So the first thing that we see is that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, he's, and then he says, Timothy, our brother. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, he never, nobody ever called Timothy an apostle, and I'm not saying that he should have, because he shouldn't have. And he's, he, he identified himself and Titus and Timothy correctly. But Paul... He's trying to remind them of something. He's trying to point out something with them. I'll bring it to you in just a second. In, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So what Paul is doing in this first, this first verse, he's identifying himself as an apostle because when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, remember when he did, in Acts chapter 9, he was commissioned to fulfill the calling on his life and he was given authority by Jesus Christ, making him an apostle, uh, and ultimately an apostle to the Gentiles. And as I mentioned in our introduction, some men in this area were actually present at Peter's sermon, who was also a, an apostle. And this is an incredible, this, this is how I laid out myself. It may not be 100% right, but uh, Paul identifies his authority in verse 1 to be, uh, to be the same as Peter's, making his words as valuable as Peter's. Okay, so think about this. These two guys, or three guys, or ten guys, or whatever it was in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, listening to Peter, the apostle, preach about Jesus Christ, the, his death, burial, and resurrection. And they said, 
That's an incredible story. I'm going to go home and tell my family and tell all my neighbors, and we're going to start a Bible study in, 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 the, in our town in Colossae. And so based on the Apostle Peter's words, they started a church. And then Paul says, hey, I'm an apostle, and here is my word. And Paul is, is, is encouraging him and strengthening him. The words of an apostle carry the same weight. That's partly why he said to this little church, I'm an apostle. And he separates Titus or Timothy is not an apostle. So he, he identifies his authority to be the same as Peter's. And, and this is the only time that Timotheus is even mentioned in this letter. But the connection to Timothy is thought to have, he had came from Pergia as well. Paul mentions Timothy because he wanted them to know that he was familiar with their culture. Because Timothy came from this area, of the, of the this general area, Asia Minor. Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16, and when he went through Derby and Lystra, both of which were located in, in Asia Minor and Pergia, he took Timothy because he kind of was familiar with the people. He understood the thinking. In Acts chapter 14, verse 6, is that they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Laodicea, unto the region that lieth about. Okay, so the first thing, he, he identifies himself and his, and his partner, Timothy. And then in verse 2, he writes, he says, I'm right, this is an address to the saints. And it, actually, to the saints, notice it says, to the saints and the faithful brethren. Two different categories, but both equally important. So this is a very common description that Paul used for the readers of his word, of his, almost all of his letters. To be a saint. You ever think about what it means to be a saint? No, it's not because you're a great person. That's no, it's because you to be a saint, a saint is not someone who has been canonized by the Catholic Church or immortalized in glass, as in, you know, colored glass. A saint is simply a sinner who has been saved by grace. To be a saint implies a holiness, a purity. It implies being set apart and sanctified or consecrated to God, which is what we're, right, when we got saved, uh, we got set apart to God. And so that makes us a saint as well. Not that we're special people. We're still sinners saved by grace. But that's a saint saved by grace. Now you can be a sinner and not be a saint. You can't be a saint if you're not saved. Okay, so anyway, Paul respected their, their own growth of the church and, and uh, how he, they grew in, in, in the walk, their own walk in the Lord. And then he's going to talk about that later. But then, but then he says, so to the saints and to the faithful brethren. And he also labels some, of the faith, some, some as faithful brethren. And then he extends grace and peace from God to, to all of them. So to identify what we are and what we should be, that's, that's, that's the two things here. Paul calls men by, the, by name as being faithful brethren. And three, there's three places, and we won't turn there, but he mentions Epaphras as a faithful brother, as a faithful brother. He mentions Tychius as a faithful brother, and he mentions Onesimus as a faithful brother. Faithful brethren. <clears throat> then in verses four to six, this is what this is for us. This is uh, now he starts to get into some things here. So I'll read down verse four to six, and that's about as far as we'll get today. So since since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where wherefore whereof 
you heard before in the in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in in truth. And we'll stop right there. So there's a couple of what I would call a pattern for right behavior, Christian behavior in this this that starts in verse four. So it gives us some key traits for Christian ministry. And starting in verse 4, Paul mentions several traits of the believer which motivated him to write. Now he already heard this from, from um, Epaphras. Hey, these people are they're faithful. This is, what, this is who they are. Now, I don't know if you picked up on the words, but let me just give them to you. Starting in verse 4. Um, Since we heard of your faith, so that's one of them, and of the love which ye have, that's the second one, in verse 5, and the hope which is laid up for you. So, faith, love, and hope. That's where we're going with this part right here. Faith, love, and hope. So, um, okay, so these traits are found in verses 4 to 5, and we could call them cardinal traits. Ever heard that expression before? Cardinal traits. The word cardinal means primary. These are primary behaviors that Christians should be. So the word that uh, you have a blank there for the word primary traits: faith, hope, and love. So verse four, the first part of verse four, he talks about faith. And this refers to a saving faith. You could notice that it's a faith in Christ Jesus. Now a lot of people have faith. Faith doesn't need to be a giant faith, as but it does need to take hold and. And think about what Jesus declared about the importance of a faith of a mustard seed. What did he say about it? You don't have to have gigantic faith. He said you can have the faith of the size of a mustard seed. And what, what could you do? You could move a mountain. He says in Luke chapter 17, which I know, oh, everybody always goes to the mountain. This is kind of interesting. It's Luke 17, verse 6. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted by the seed. But well, we always think about the mustard, about you know moving a mountain. But you know, you ever you ever picked up a tree, replanted it? I have, but they're really small trees. <laughs> okay, so the size of our faith is not as important as the object of our faith. What is the object of our faith? Our faith is in Jesus Christ. That's the object. So we each have a regular. We all have a regular everyday faith. You ever think about it? Every, when you walked into this room, you exercised faith that the heat would be on, that the chairs would work, that the you know that I would be here. <laughs> um, anyway, everybody has a what you could call regular everyday faith, but the object of that regular everyday faith didn't transform your life. You know, um, you think about it. You have faith in the driver in the lane next to you that he's not going to veer off all of a sudden because his phone rang and the next thing you know you're going to get to meet the guy on the side of the road. You know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a faith that we don't think about too often. And when we pray, God, keep me safe on the highway. But what about that guy who's not a believer? He has no faith in anything. I'm going to die and cough. I know he's going to be so. What's that? I'm going to die and I know he's going to be so. All right, so faith, that's the first thing, faith. The second thing is also in verse 4 is love. Now Paul understood that the love of God for all mankind 
the love of God is for all mankind, and was very he was very happy to hear of this what, what we would call agape love that was found in the church at Colossia. They had to had an agape love, and I think everybody's aware of the differences. Uh, but this is how Christ loved the, the church, and as, as an agape love in John three sixteen. That's the, that for God for for God so loved the world agape love. Um, so agape love is the love that God uses. God loves for all the world. And it's different from the other words, and there's actually three other forms of, of the word love. Only two of them are found, two others are found in the Bible. Um, the word philo, uh, which is a friendship love, a you know kind of you're my best buddy type of thing, you know, uh, that's a friendship love. Then there's eros, which is a romantic love, and then the last one, which is not in the Bible, is a strogi love which is a family type of love. You love your brothers and sisters and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins. And you love them like a family. That's strogi love. That's not found in the Bible. All the rest of them are. So it pleased Paul to discover that this church loved like Christ loved. That's his point. You're a, you, God loves agape love. He loves all the world. So if we're going to love like God, we have to love all the world. And I know sometimes that doesn't happen. We get a little frustrated with things that are going on in the world, and and there's a there's a seed of hatred that kind of creeps into our hearts and kind of tries to take over, right? But that agape love, um, that means basically like praying for every person to be saved, no matter what their background may be, praying for their salvation. And then in verse five, he uses the word hope. One of the significant traits of hope is that the sustaining strength of hope. Um, to hope, let me finish that line. To hope has the the intensity of of seeing things to the end, to a conclusion. The difference in hope offered by the world and the hope found in God is simply a distinction between its basis on fact or in fact. You know, we have hope. You know, it's like I hope I, I hope I uh, get this job. Okay. Well, what's your, what's the basis of your hope? Well, it's just hope. I mean, well, that's what you say. But you know, I, I, I hope in Christ that I'm going to be in heaven as a basis of Christ. Worldly hope has no foundation to even be true. Think about that. Worldly, faith, worldly hope has no foundation to even be true, but people are optimistic just to feel better. Christian's hope is solid and substantial and always based on eternal truths. What do you hope in? You hope in the rapture? You hope in, the, in going to heaven? You hope to be with, with God in heaven? What is, what is that hope based on? Eternal truths and the word of God. Our hope is guaranteed by God himself in his word. We have the guarantee of the, the living God that what he said will come to pass. It's an amazing thing. So the order here is also important as well. Faith, love, and hope. Faith has to do with the content of your salvation. It's not our effort to be, to be saved. Faith steers us to love, though. So faith uh, is the, is the con- deals with the content of salvation. But then faith steers us to love. Love has to do with the character of salvation. So you have, you have the, context of, the content of salvation, the character of salvation... It's only because God loves is there even salvation offered. If, if God didn't love the world, salvation would never have been something that we could attain to. 
Just think about that for just a minute. If it wasn't for God loving the world, loving humanity, we would never have had the opportunity to be saved because salvation is of the Lord. It comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. And without both God's desire and Jesus' sacrifice, you could never have salvation. And the, the last thing is hope has to do with the culmination of salvation. It, it wraps everything up. It completes it all. The culmination of culmination of salvation. Without these cardinal traits, these primary traits in our walk, we could never come close to being like Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Didn't, didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 8 that God wanted us, predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ? And so, we've we got to start with with faith, hope, faith, love, and hope. And then in, ch- in verse 6, and I'll close up with verse 6. Which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So, this is the heart desire of every Christian. This is, this is what we should desire for every believer. But, that what, what, what has come to, unto you as it is in the world, and hath bringeth forth fruit, so the first thing that we just should desire for all Christians is that God, that the gospel would be planted globally as it is in all the world. That should be our desire, that the gospel go forth worldwide. That was part of what the mission conference was about, the vision conference. And the second thing it says, um, that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. No, that's the wrong verse, sorry. Verse, verse uh, nine, Verse 8. Since the day you heard of it and knew, let me back up a little bit further, and bringeth forth fruit, there we go, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So two things should be the heart desire for all Christians, that the gospel should be planted globally and that the gospel would bear fruit locally, bringing forth fruit locally. So two things, planted globally and fruitful locally. So that's just what that's just the beginning of Paul's encouragement to this church, uh, and t- getting ready to talk about the knowledge of, of Christ and and letting them know who their faith is in. And so we're going to learn some things out of here over the next several weeks. I'm not sure how long it'll take us to get to. It's a small book, but it can still take us a long time. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed and we'll be out of here. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your Son Jesus Christ. Thank you for this passage of Scripture that we've studied, Lord. Thank you for these cardinal, these primary traits that we should seek out in our life uh, to, to root, out, root out whatever is keeping us from having these traits and help us to establish them in our life. Uh, faith and, and love and hope. And that we can also see the gospel spread globally and take root globally and that the, the gospel would also be bear fruit locally. And we just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hi, Judy. Judy was on. All right, we miss you. Maybe we'll see you soon. Love you.